Let's get this started. Yeah, so thank you so much for joining us, Axel. Um, this is our uh, fourth episode by now. Fourth episode by now. And uh, we are really honored to have you. Welcome. Hi. Thanks for <laughs> inviting me. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Thanks so much. Uh, yeah, and it's good to, to speak to you. I mean, we just briefly spoke beforehand. Uh, I think we've uh, heard a lot about Mission Lifeline. Yeah, so it's it's a really it's a great opportunity to talk to you and uh, learn a bit more how this all started at the very beginning and um, what what uh, are your plans now? What are some of the challenges, perhaps, and how uh, some of our viewers might be uh, also able to to uh, take away some of the lessons that you've learned along the way. But first of all, we want to uh, ask, who are you and uh, why are you here today? Axel Steyer from uh, Germany, from East Germany. Uh, so it's Dresden, it's my hometown uh, since years. And um, yeah, we started uh, with the Dresden Balkan Convoy um, in 2015. Um, and we um, went to several uh, refugee camps uh, um, on, the, on the Balkan and also Greece and uh, helped people. In different ways so we had a tea kitchen and we uh, we give clothes to, to the people and uh, help them also uh, with uh, some money in 2016 uh, things changed in uh, Greece so um, the camps became uh, more um, prisons so we decided to stop our support for this kind of uh, prisons and um, we decided to um, go to sea um, where you can legally uh, help people very easy and so we bought 2017 a ship uh, our first ship the lifeline and um, we made six uh, missions uh, in the mediterranean in the central mediterranean and uh, rescued several hundred people and yeah, and then the ship um, um, got seized by uh, Malta. And yeah, after that, we decided to buy the next ship. And uh, now we are working on our third ship, uh, the Rise Above, um, which we sent to the Mediterranean, hopefully immediately. Nice. Yeah, you, you spoke about your founding story that it started in 2015. And that was around the same time where Timo and I also decided, okay, we, we uh, need to do something and where we had the idea for the whole Refugee Roads project. So we were wondering, what um, can you take us back to that time and just let us know, okay, what motivated you in the beginning to, to found this whole initiative and uh, what were your feelings back then? I mean, uh, I, I saw uh, the pictures in, in the TV uh, from thousands of people on the road um, on, on their way to uh, Central Europe. 
and I see, well, the weather will become worse. So um, it's getting winter soon and, um, you know, we are in a rich country and we should help people. And this was a, Uh, the idea of of uh, starting yeah i think that's pretty uh, i mean similar to what we did except that in the in the news we i don't know how you felt back then but uh, the sort of information that we received uh, we were always kind of a bit uh, wondering how things actually looked on the ground like it didn't really satisfy us in terms of oh and now i've read an article um, i feel like uh, i know what's going on and this is exactly what i need to do I think back then, for us at least, it was a lot like uh, we, we weren't sure what ex actually were the needs. So I'm wondering how also did you manage to, you know, put your priorities to where they were at that time? How did you know where to start um, helping? We located uh, Prejavo in uh, Serbia as the first uh, point. It was a registration uh, area uh, on the border to Macedonia. Macedonia. We uh, saw many people uh, freezing in the night waiting for registration. This was our first uh, yeah, point where we, uh, we started a, a tea kitchen because you, if you serve hot tea in the night, uh, people um, have something not, you know, that they don't get too cold. And also we um, hand, handed out um, clothes. So this was a, the, the first thing we begin and then we see okay they close the border so macedonia uh, and uh, close close the, the border and uh, we see no more people coming and then we decide okay where's where's the next um next station or where are the people stuck uh, it was idomeni and uh, in idomeni it was you know you can put in any kind of help it, it's needed. Um, we served food, we uh, had our tea kitchen, we also distributed uh, clothes uh, to the people. And um, yeah, this was this, uh, the second uh, point where we, where we uh, helped. And after that, um, there was eviction of the, of this camp. So police came and um, yeah. And, The people uh, had to leave Idomeni and um, then we started to go in other camps where it was more self-organized. And from, from this, you know, from, from this point, we said, okay, there's a lot of needs also on the Greek islands. So we moved to the Greek islands and distributed uh, tea and clothes there. And uh, this was, yeah, this was the last point in, in Greece. Yeah. Um, and uh, so in Moria, the situation um, back then, how would you say has this sort of evolved over time? What, what are some of the kind of key changes that you've observed over the past uh, three, four uh, years? I mean, we, we, uh, we never were, we, was, we were once in Lesbos also, but uh, before we were in, uh, in Chios, uh, it's an island close to uh, Lesbos. Um, we had there uh, until 2016 and after that we decided really uh, not to help in this kind of prisons um, and we went to uh, to the Mediterranean so you know we saw in in 
with the upcoming uh, COVID-19 and with a lot of new influx of, of refugees from, from Turkey, uh, we decided to go back to Greece uh, and to find a solution for the people stuck on the islands. So we decided, wait, you see the, uh, the pictures in the TV, everybody can see it. The situation is very, very bad for the people. And uh, then we started um, to offer um, the governments to evacuate the people by private um, action. So with airplanes, this was uh, the first idea. Quite good idea, I think, but uh, the states doesn't, um, you know, doesn't act very fast. On 8th of March, we, we launched our com campaign and also on 8th of March uh, in the evening, the um, Social Democrats uh, announced that Germany will take several hundred people. So it's a kind of, you know, we make something and I think the state reacts, but in a different way. So they make it themselves and uh, with less numbers. This was a case in March. And uh, after that, we keep um, our eyes on, on the islands. So we, um, we show the people what the conditions are. And um, so we put another pressure on the states to, um, to take more, more refugees. And uh, actually, it happened after the fire. Um, so I think it's very important to uh, make it public uh, what happened in, in these camps. Um, and this changed the politics. Now, so you mentioned the, the conditions in the refugee camps, and I can imagine you've seen a lot of refugee camps yourself, um, and now you keep referring to them as prisons. So could you give us a description of, yeah, your impression of the situation in the refugee camps and why are you referring to them as prisons? It's, you know, it's small camps and it's totally overcrowded. So people have to build their own uh, houses, small uh, from plastic and, and wood. Uh, and it's like, you know, like a slum. You maybe can, can imagine. And also it's not allowed to leave the islands uh, for the refugees without consent. So they are, hold on the, they are held on, on the islands first. And also in the camp, because in these camps uh, there is uh, their asylum procedure. And if they leave, they can take part on this asylum pr procedure. This is kind of prison. And in Moria 1, the thing which burned uh, uh, several weeks ago, it was like that. You can, um, you can register, register to get out of the camp for several hours for special purposes, to go to a doctor, or to go shopping. Short before the fire, um, they announced a total lockdown, so nobody could leave uh, this camp, and it was a total prison. And yeah, this raises tensions between uh, refugees and uh, police. And yeah, I mean, actually, it is a prison. If you are not there, you don't get an asylum procedure. You can't uh, leave the islands. So this people are hold in this camps the situation in the camps is very bad it's only you get once a day you get a meal it's very bad food you get only two bottles of water it's um i would say people held in these camps like uh, animals 
And um, so, uh, I mean, we, we know and we've seen, of course, what happened after the fire. Um, there were, I think, yeah, around 12,000 people, uh, I mean, homeless overnight. And now they were um, brought to this new um, area with the uh, tents. Um, uh, do, you, do you have some kind of people on the ground who are reporting back to you how the situation is uh, looking uh, right now? Yeah, it's worse than before. Uh, these tents um, don't have a ground, so you sleep on the on the stones. Um, and uh, also rain is coming into these tents uh, from underneath, so they get get, fl get flooded. These uh, conditions are worse. There's no um, no cleaning for people. You can't wash your, wash yourself. For women, uh, it's impossible. Um, the toilets are very dirty and uh, situation is worse than the camp before. There are less people in this camp. It's about 9,000 at the moment. You know, it's an old military um, um, area uh, full of uh, ammunition. So you find there um, parts of grenades and uh, such things. So it's a military area, a, a shooting space or something like that yeah it's worse than before i mean we've seen a lot of uh children of course uh when we were there I, and i assume it, that hasn't changed uh, probably quite a high share of, of the population in this campus uh, their children uh, it's 40 percent it like it's 40 percent yeah 40 percent so children yeah doesn't sound like a very uh, child-friendly environment. Um, and uh, well, I know, or we know that uh, there has been some efforts to relocate part of the population. In Germany, I think it was roughly 1,500 people. Um, but uh, of course, that's not everyone. Um, what's your kind of outlook on um, where, where everyone will go? Um, because uh, obviously it's not a permanent solution to host them in the military base. Um, so realistically speaking, what, what do you think will happen? I, I think the uh, Greek government will uh, keep uh, keep running this uh, campus. Um, it's they need it for um, showing the world how bad the situation in Europe is for refugees um, to hold them back uh, so that they don't come to uh, to Greece. This is the idea of this. Uh, bad conditions so you you see the situation and in western europe you think hey, what's that it's like uh, i don't know global south situation uh, after catastrophe but it's uh, it's planned it's a planned situation um, and people are like um, animals in the, in the zoo which you can show to other refugees uh, that they better don't come um, this is the idea behind that because I, th I think it won't change. Frontex get a lot of money from Europe and uh, from the, the member states support uh, the pushbacks from Greece and support uh, this camp system. Uh, I don't think it uh, will change any. Takes just a few numbers get down for the public. Hey, we do something, but uh, in general, they, they need these pictures of. Uh, of um, abused children and abused men and women. So you're essentially saying that the, the people in the camps, they're being used um, to de deteriorate further arrivals. Absolutely, absolutely. This is the only uh, aim of, of that. 
And uh, now you mentioned Frontex, like how does that whole um, search and rescue um, uh, theme fit into that picture? So uh, we, we've been uh, on Lesbos, we saw like the, uh, the boats that are patrolling between Lesbos and the Turkish sea border. Um, so how does that, like how does Frontex fit in the whole picture? I'm, I mean, Frontex um, manage everything. Um, they have the surveillance, um, um, the cameras they need. They have a, um, a air um, surveillance. They have airplanes and um, can coordinate uh, the, the Greek Coast Guard, uh, which is uh, pushing back people uh, to Greece. So they put them in life rafts and uh, let them drift uh, away. This is... Uh, what they do there. So there's no rescue uh, at all. It's a kind of, yeah, uh, attempt of murder. So to put someone in into the sea in a life raft that these people drift uh, to Turkey is an uh, attempt of murder. Then Frontex is supposed to be like the European uh, border agency, right? Like to protect the European borders. Yes, this so, is the idea. Yeah, but everybody has a uh, has a um, right to claim asylum, and um, this is um, you know the political or the, the administrative idea um, not to um, to let people get their rights. So um, pushing pushing people back, um, closing the borders, uh, making fences um, is um, yeah. Before we maybe uh, yeah have a few more questions on the um, search and rescue uh, topic, I was wondering, um, just you know, you've probably seen also the 50-minute video by Yoko and Klaas about the situation in Moria, right? And it seems like there's always it comes and goes and waves the attention uh, to everyone on Moria. Now we've of course because of the fire, there was a lot of attention. This will probably app again, and we'll have less attention. Um, how, how do you, A, kind of, um, use the momentum to, you know, drive progress and also, uh, perhaps what are, are the challenges in terms of, um, getting, um, public support and getting political support uh, for what Mission Lifeline does and, and stands for? It's exactly that. Um, you have, um, situations where nobody is looking at in this situation is it's important for us to uh, to keep an eye uh, on the scene and to report about the situation so you need several hundred people who are have this in their mind even if there's no um, media hype uh, because in this situation uh, when it gets more attention uh, you need this several hundred people to get louder and to protest. Uh, that's why it's important uh, to uh, report all the time. And in this situation where um, things happened, like this fire, you are there um, and you can report to big media. Um, so it's possible to, um, to reach more people with your uh, ideas and, yeah, and tell them maybe what can help. So to evacuate uh, these camps, for instance, so you can make more political uh, pressure on the situation. But if you're not there, you can't report in this situation. So that's why it's important to have the, uh, to, to be there all the time. If you're now looking at the last 
two months, like with this this media intention that uh, then all of a sudden was again on Lesbos. How did that help or hinder the the mission of the Mission Lifeline? I mean, it it uh, helped that 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 way uh, that we uh, can we ask uh, politicians for evacuating uh, the people and actually 1500 they will evacuate now it's not all but it's uh, a bit more i think uh, than if if there were no uh, attention on on this uh, from our side so it helps to change the uh, political to to put pressure on political system uh, mm. yeah this is the main thing actually we we uh, we see now it's uh, there are less than uh, 13,000 or 12,000. At the moment, there are 9,000. So they evacuate uh, actually to the mainland uh, more than 3,000 people. It's better than nothing. So it is going back to search and rescue. Um, we've uh, heard a lot of kind of uh, stories, of course, of, of boats being seized and boats are um, built again and they go out again. And uh, it's it's a very also complex legal environment. So uh, I think a really interesting question would be, um, how have things become easier or more difficult uh, for you in doing search and rescue over the past few years? And what were some sort of the, the key um, um, aspects that made these things more difficult or, or easy? I mean, we started in 2017 and there, were also, there was uh, already the support of the so-called Libyan Coast Guard, which are militias, uh, which uh, gets money from, um, from European Union to push back people or uh, to pull back people from the sea uh, into uh, the war zone of Libya. So this kind of uh, things happened already uh, during our first mission. So uh, we rescued several hundred people on, in our first mission and had them on board. And in this situation, the Libyan Coast Guard came and uh, tried to uh, kidnap uh, the people from our boat. So they came on our boat and uh, sh shooting around and try to get the people. So we discussed a lot with these guys and uh, later on they, they left the boat. But this kind of um, European Union politics uh, already existed uh, in 2017 and it got worse. So um, or it got worse much more. Um, so states started uh, to change their laws for instance, Netherlands changed their laws to uh, use the ships. Um, Malta uh, seized our ship during our sixth mission. And um, there were also a lot of things going on in Germany. So they tried to, uh, yeah, they investigate against us in Germany too. And uh, also in, uh, in it Italy, uh, uh, prosecutor uh, started investigation uh, against our uh, captain uh, in 2019. So it's all the time you have investigations and changing of laws that you don't you said you can't use your chips anymore. Kind of that. So it yeah more and more difficult. But then uh, if I understood correctly, like all you guys want to do is help, right? Like uh, wherever you can. 
Um, so how is how is this being criminalized? Like, why are there people um, investigating uh, Mission Lifeline? So they don't want uh, that people um, refugees come to Europe. As the only ones who is, who rescue people uh, in the Mediterranean and bring them to Europe, uh, we are the enemies of of uh, this kind of people, and um, this is a main political. Uh, I think at the moment uh, all political parties take part in this uh, kind of shit. Uh, almost every government or every gov government is pushing forward the things. Uh, everybody, so it's the political mainstream uh, to uh, to let people die. Actually, this is what we have to consider. And um, how uh, is the cooperation with um, other search and rescue, Sea um, Watch, etc., like uh, civil society organizations who are active in this field? Are you um, kind of, you know, trying to uh, help each other out in those circumstances? After all, you're probably facing similar challenges or legal battles. Yeah, last time we um, we act against uh, the, together against. Um, um, the transport minister Scheuer, um, who sent out a new regulation uh, about small ships, which we use. And um, so we fight together with Mare Liberum and uh, Rescue Ship and, and other uh, organizations against this. So it, it, it's a kind of uh, working together um, in special situations. Um, but we uh, have to consider that every organization is are responsible for collecting their own money. So uh, it's also, you know, um, everybody or every organization is doing their their own things and um, try to push their things forward. Um, and sometimes it's, uh, we work together. In the sea, we must say, so if, if you are out there with a boat and another organization is out there with a boat, it's always uh, working together to find people and to rescue people. So... We decide if we are if there are two boats outside in the central Mediterranean. We say, hey, okay, you go to the east, and we go to the west, or um, the other way. So, on the sea, there's always uh, working together. Uh, on land, it's uh, part part time. So, mm -hmm. you mentioned this um, changed state law now, and you also said you you are preparing a third ship already. Is this change state law? Is that the reason why the um, the current ship, I think, it's the rise above, right? Um, so yes. why that one isn't out in the Mediterranean right now? Yes, uh, they changed the law. This is one one thing. Germany uh, changed the law that you need more um, more a more equipped ship than uh, before uh, for the same thing. So it's not um, it's gonna cost about for our ship is 300,000 euros extra, um, which we already put in. Um, and we are not ready at the moment. Um, but this law um, was kicked by a court now, um, but the Italians uh, want the same. So the Italians want um, all these uh, changes too. So we need to uh, end our work. Absolute beginner's question here. So how come that you are tied to the laws of all these different member states, especially since you're an in international operating, also an in international 
waters. I mean, not the whole time, but uh, how, how come that the, the Dutch law, the Italian law, the German law, how do they all affect you uh, as a mission lifeline? Yeah, if you have a, your, you need a flag for a ship and um, you have to um, be in accordance uh, to this flex uh, state laws. And uh, this is one point. And if you enter another country like Italy, we have to do with the refugees, uh, then um, they all also uh, look at their law and uh, look what's happened on this boat. So it's, uh, it's always affected by uh, many uh, countries and uh, laws. I mean, the law on the sea of the sea is quite clear you have to rescue if you're not to do if you're not do um you are guilty for a crime uh, but um the different is happening so if you rescue uh, they make trouble and if you don't rescue they let you go so it's like that it's totally turned uh, around uh, uh, the system at the moment Maybe also one thing, of course, we picked up, uh, and we're in Brussels right now, by the way, um, is that with the, this new migration pact that came out, which is kind of, um, you know, the, the EU's effort to change the current landscape on migration policy and asylum policy, um, there were also some laws that were decriminalizing search and rescue. Um, how, what, what's kind of your take on this, um, um, uh, also in terms of like seeing this law being kind of changing the, the way things actually go and practice on the, on the ground? I think it's, uh, it won't get better. So, um, if you read the part about, the, um, uh, search and rescue operations, you see, uh, they, they want to install, um, I mean, they say it's about safety on board, you know, they higher the level on safety on board. And during this, we have to stay in the harbor and to change ship equipment. Uh, and during this, people will die. So this uh, implementation is uh, quite clear. Um, they want that more people die on sea. Um, this you can read in, in, in this uh, in this migration pact it's quite clear so mm -hmm. and they argue uh, we have to hire the ship uh, the ship's safety but our ships are safety uh, safe so uh, if, you, if you don't go out because they think you need an, another uh, lamp uh, inside the ship or uh, you need uh, the life raft put on a, an, another uh, position on the ship during this time you change this people will die and this is uh, what they imp try to implement so they make the uh, safety standards they will uh, rise uh, the safety standards more than uh, before and which means uh, we are not we can't go out which means people will die this is uh, the eu uh, commission plan there there is nothing there is nothing about uh, written down about uh, um, um, the so-called Libyan Coast Guard, nothing about the militias uh, which they support, nothing about uh, the yeah um, the pushbacks and the pullbacks 
paid by the European Union, nothing about this criminal acts. Um, and we see also that there is no, um, there is no efforts from the um, international cr crime court uh, to end this uh, criminal uh, things by the European Union. What would be their role? Sorry, I didn't catch that. The International Crime Court or are they, the ICC, you mean? The ICC, the, yeah. the ICC don't do anything about that. You know, Europe, European leaders act like criminals and the European, uh, the European um, courts don't do nothing and uh, also the International Crime Court don't do nothing. So you see, they can do what they want. They can kill people or let people die in the in the sea. Uh, they can make illegal pushbacks uh, and they can finance militias. Nothing will happen. You see, it's like um, if I see um, how they talk about China, uh, about the Uyghurs, uh, about Russia, uh, about all this dictatorship. You see a lot of crimes there, but nobody talks in the public about the crimes of the European Union. This. I, I really I don't understand why um, journalists um, point only on China and not on the EU. This I don't understand. Yeah. Do you have any guesses why that might be? Like, uh, I mean, what, what, you know, is it uh, maybe because it's uh, European journalists and uh, it's a very confrontational, of course, uh, very confrontational course to take. I mean, you will make a lot of friends uh, with that, certainly in the European uh, policy bubble but um i don't know i i i recognize i recognize um what's happened but i don't have a um, explanation why it uh, why it's like that i see um it's you know it's totally correct to um to point on on china and to say hey what do you do with uh, with with these guys or to point uh, on on uh, other dictators dictators uh, like putin um, but I don't understand why inside Europe, nobody you just take they are criminal. They just say they are criminal. It's totally easy to pay a militia outside uh, of Europe, which make crimes. You are involved in crime, so you are criminal. So I don't understand why they, only a few people say that. And um, I also don't understand why the International Crime Court is not doing nothing about that. I don't understand. Maybe they get uh, money from the European Union and they think, hey, if we put some leaders, some European leaders into jail, um, maybe we, uh, you know, we lose our uh, money. I don't know. It's not, it's not uh, the rule of law working in Europe in this way, in, in this special area. You see? Yeah. Now, uh, considering that, like, you are from Germany and you are, a European in a way. So how does these things that you explain now, like how does that affect the person Axel Steyer? So like, how does that affect your views on that? I mean, I, I come from the East, uh, I, I, um, East Germany. So I recognized 40 years, uh, the, um, or I lived um, 14 years in the dictatorship uh, GDR, which means there, this was a really, really bad system where you don't have uh, normal rights. And after that, things changed. So you can travel, you can um, be more free and so. And now I see uh, how the uh, European Union and the member states act 
against refugees, against people uh, on the run. And um, I see actually less differences between this dictatorship and uh, the behavior of this uh, of the European Union, how they uh, uh, solve this uh, um, refugees um, or to handle them. So um, I I'm I get radicalized uh, by uh, this more and more. I see, you know, I'm very angry. This is uh, what I feel. Now you've been doing this since five years. It's been like since 2015 where you started with this uh, tea kitchen in Prejevo, as you said. And uh, now it's 2020. Like, what's your what's your resume? Like, what? How do you look back at the past five years, and where do you think we will be in the next five? I don't know because uh, pictures can change things. I know um, if there's a catastrophe and people recognize uh, there's a catast catastrophe, and um, if there's enough political will, uh, enough political power. Um, to change things, um, things can change. Uh, this is my hope. But uh, I also, uh, I'm also realistic, so I see uh, things getting worse. It could also be, and it, at the moment, it looks like um, things getting worse. Can you remind us when the ship, uh, the new ship, will be uh, going uh, out on sea again? Yes, we will uh, send a newsletter. We have a newsletter on our website. You can uh, make a abonnement uh, for the newsletter, and um, there we will announce everything uh, we send once a month. And in special situations, we uh, send a newsletter. So that's mission-lifeline.de, right? Uh, mission-lifeline.de, right? Yeah. All right. Well, we'll add any uh, kind of um, yeah a newsletter and info we can to to the podcast description. Is there anything else that you think we should um, we should have asked but we didn't? Uh, anything uh, to add? Because um, I think this kind of sums up uh, the the kind of questions we had. No, I, I think I just want to say uh, never give up uh, fighting for people's right. Thanks so much for joining us um, and sharing your insights on this. It was really interesting. Thanks. Thank you. Bye-bye.